our world tour of Q head next, oh great and powerful terrified. Fearful. The name is fearful. And our next geographical move is a biggie, all the way to the land down under. This story came to us almost entirely from one of the many books we read for this series. Titled QAnon and On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults by Aussie Guardian columnist Van Batum. She has quite a story to tell, specifically about a QAnon figure who, if not actually in power in the government, as Trump was in the USA and to a much lesser extent as Marjorie Taylor Greene continues to be today. Yeah, for the Australians, the QNuts were not actually in the seat of power per se, but they were definitely at the seat of power's table for four at a posh dinner or two. I'll let the author herself introduce the budding scandal. QAnon first arrived in Australia's mainstream political consciousness via a disturbing article published in The Guardian on the 2nd of October 2019. In it, journalists Christopher Nouse and Josh Taylor broke a story exposing the relationship between Australia's Conservative Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and a man that the article referred to exclusively by his Twitter handle, at BurnedSpy34. At BurnedSpy34, they asserted, was married to a close friend of the Prime Minister's wife, Jenny. The relationship between the families was long-standing. The women had been friends since their school days, the couples had attended each other's weddings, and public Facebook messages were open about the connection between them. What disturbed most was that the journalists had identified at BurnsBy34 as the author of numerous tweets citing the QAnon conspiracy theory. For a year, this man with a close personal relationship to Australia's Prime Minister had publicly shared content claiming the world was secretly run by a shadowy cabal of pedophiles comprised of the world's elite. At Burns by 34 had publicly suggested at least two of these elite pedophiles were Morrison's own factional rivals. Of course, as an American, I have a deep, extensive knowledge of Australian politics. Meaning? Meaning, I have immersed myself in the bare-knuckle fights and intriguing smoky backroom power plays that have defined the political life of this fascinating land at the end of the world, to the point that I understand not only the players, but the power games they play. Meaning? Meaning, I saw the Australia episode of The Simpsons when I was in college, and at that point decided I pretty much understood all there was to know about Australian culture and politics. That's the one where Bart is supposed to get kicked by a giant boot as punishment for running up a huge collect phone bill, but instead causes an international incident and leaves the country buried under a mountain of invasive Simpson-smuggled bullfrogs? It is indeed. And if you'll recall, not only the Australian judiciary, but the prime minister himself plays an important role, as in this pivotal scene. You're all the way in Australia. Hey, I think I hear a dingo eating your baby. Yeah, well, uh, ooh, oh. Oh, that's it. I'm going to report this to me member of parliament. Hey, Gus, I got something to report to you. That's a bloody outrage, it is. I want to take this all the way to the Prime Minister. Hey, Mr. Prime Minister! Andy! Hi, mate. What's a good word? And this person whom Bart has fooled could be described as a sort of Australian hick? Yeah, that's fair. And this member of parliament he calls by yelling out his window is a neighboring pig farmer? Again, accurate. And the prime minister they go to consult is a naked guy floating in an inner tube in a pond drinking fosters. 
Australian for beer. Yes. And that's all the info you need on Aussie politics. I mean, we're Americans, right? Like, how much else is there to know? Seriously, though, I obviously don't know shit about the politics of the land down under, but I do know that they had a run of pretty conservative prime ministers for a while there, and that Scott Morrison, the one embroiled in this Q-related scandal, was among the most conservative, at least whatever that means in Australian terms. But from what I can tell, this QAnon fan as prime minister bestie thing was an actual honest-to-God big deal. The stuff that Morrison's buddy Tim Stewart was spewing on social media is old news to you Straniacs. It's the greatest hits of non-USQ. Heavy on the satanic panic, child rape accusations, secret cabal, working against the interests of the Australian people on behalf of the elites. Light on the Donald Trump as the returned messiah who not only rules the US but the whole world, etc., etc. On Twitter, Tim Stewart shared scans of a photocopied, decades-old, 50-page document titled Satanic Cult Awareness, dating back to the satanic panic of the 1980s. This was a conspiracy theory fueled moral panic that insisted organised satanic sexual predators were corrupting children through degrading rituals of sexual abuse and infamously provoked 12,000 accusations in the United States alone, not a single one of which could be substantiated. Yes, and as Van Battam notes, Stewart had no problem even after the scandal broke, waxing rhapsodic on these topics for any TV interviewer who gave him a microphone. The Guardian journalists Nelson Taylor raised this point directly when they interviewed Tim Stewart in 2019. If you want to do your research into the US context, the red shoes are purported to be very much a pedophilia shout-out, Stewart told them. And there are some extremely odd photos of large groups of men in suits wearing red shoes, many of whom are promoting pedophilia. Karen Stewart told ABC TV's Four Corners program how this QAnon belief had been explained to her. If people wear red shoes, they're wearing red so that when babies are slaughtered and the blood falls on the ground, that no one will see the blood spatter. But of course, just as with Q loons in the US and their god emperor Trump, Stewart failed to follow his own logic. After all, if your best buddy is the most powerful man in Australia, how well is this supposedly all-powerful cabal functioning? In May 2019, he also fought and won a federal election. He ran a political party, a government, and a cabinet. He was expert in political power and had made himself powerful with that expertise. So how could Tim Stewart persist in QAnon beliefs about a cabal of elites, a deep state and shadow government, when the real state, the real government, was the same guy who drank light ales with him? How does an anonymous internet prophet come to exert more influence over someone's political reality than a prime minister hanging out with you at a Sharks game? It wasn't just Guardian columnists with a bee in their bonnets for this story. Enterprising journalists demonstrated that, in spite of Morrison's protestations, Stewart managed to insinuate specifically pro-QAnon language into formal speeches the PM gave in front of Parliament, including this clip, which discusses Morrison's speech apologizing on the government's behalf to abuse victims. I find it deeply offensive that there would be any suggestion that I would have any involvement or support for such a dangerous organisation. I clearly do not. But last night's Four Corners program documented a deeply troubling trail of text messages which raised the possibility Tim Stewart was able to get the Prime Minister, probably unknowingly, to include a hidden message to cult supporters in his apology to victims of sexual abuse in 2018. The crimes of ritual 
sexual abuse happened in schools, churches, youth groups, scout troops, orphanages, foster homes. It is the term ritual that has created the controversy and why the Prime Minister used it. The use of the phrase ritual sex abuse would have been taken as validation of the conspiracy theory by QAnon followers because it's a, it's a person in authority using this phrase which appears to directly reference the conspiracy theory. Four Corners last night documented a series of text messages from Tim Stewart referring to his attempts to get the PM to mention ritual abuse ahead of the speech. An army of victims and therapists would specifically love it if Scott's apology referenced ritual abuse victims. This exact wording is a key phrase for victims. Think of this like a code that sends a direct and clear message that they have been heard by Scott specifically. It's not clear to this Aussie political dilettante whether the QAnon story played a pivotal role in Morrison's eventual defeat at the hands of current PM Anthony Albanese. The post-election news reports from last year indicate the environment was the number one thing on voters' minds, plus people seem to have soured on Morrison's self-described bulldozer approach to managing the government. And even if scandal generally was a factor, there were other scandals that the QAnon fiasco had to contend with in terms of importance including a weird story where it turned out Morrison had assigned himself to five key positions in his own cabinet. This is in addition to his prime minister role, and he did it without telling anyone. There was also something called the robo-debt scandal in which Morrison and other conservatives replaced welfare investigators with an automated system that assumed recipients owed debts unless they could prove otherwise, and which turned out to be a great way of fucking over poor people. The government was forced to about-face on this policy eventually, and to repay 1.8 billion Australian dollary dues to those impacted. Plus, we think robo-debt probably sounded amazing in attack ads voiced by Australians. Elena, you're up. Seriously, I will send honeydew melon pickled in maple syrup directly to your house as retribution for this one. Crikey, mate! This robo-debt wallamaloo means I can hardly afford Vegemite or shrimps for my Barbie. Let's vote this bastard out before it all goes tits up. Paid for by Australians for poorly accented self-parody. Moving on, we take a brief stop in the UK, where, honestly, I was surprised to learn that nobody seems to think that QAnon and Brexit are very closely connected. Why would you think that? Oh, it's just at this point I tend to think that Q is going to either spawn or support any dumb idea that anyone ever has. And as James O'Brien, a radio host I'm about to quote a second time in this series, has noted, Brexit is the only time a populace has imposed economic sanctions on itself. So I think it definitely qualifies as dumb enough for Q. But no dice. There doesn't seem to be any significant Brexit-Q overlap. This does not, however, mean that Q has not made inroads into Britain. Far from it. And as we've seen with other non-US QAnon, at this point it doesn't seem to have that much to do with either Trump or QDrops themselves, as this Washington Post report notes. The relationship between American QAnon and British QAnon is really interesting. At first, it kind of followed the similar pattern of Trump fighting the deep state, and it felt almost kind of like a copy. Over lockdown, it's really shifted. It's become much more rooted, I would say, in British culture. Um, I sometimes even say, you know, it's got a bit more of a British flavour now. It's intriguing that observers point out the non-partisan nature of Q in Britain. As the piece notes, the closest thing that Britain has to Trump 
that is recently ousted and disgraced Prime Minister Boris Johnson, is not considered a Trump-like hero and messiah by UKQ adherents. I would say the most significant difference is how nonpartisan it seems to be. It really doesn't feel like it's connected to any kind of political party. It's not as if QAnon in the UK all thinks that, you know, Boris Johnson is secretly working behind the scenes to stop the the deep state or anything like that. In fact, he's, you know, really heavily villainized. I don't think there's any UK politician that they like don't view with mistrust. But what is familiar about British Q is the way that it connects anti-vaccine activists and vague save the children sentiments into a sort of bangers and mash of conspiracy overlap. Over the course of the pandemic, Britain had intense and prolonged lockdowns, which lasted many months and were meant to curb a devastating death rate. Anti-lockdown demonstrators have gathered each month in order to protest these restrictions. These demonstrations have brought together many different types of people. Not everyone at these rallies is there because they see themselves as a devoted follower of QAnon. But the marches do draw many people who carry QAnon-related signs and share QAnon memes online. These marches also draw many people, and particularly women, under the banner of Save the Children. It's not possible even you think that was a good metaphor. That's a lie, Elena. I mean, I, I don't believe it's a good metaphor, but it's possible I would think that. Don't be small-minded. I might turn out to be real, real dumb. Got it. My backup assumption should be that you're stupid. That probably makes this job easier. I would assume. But regardless, QAnon definitely has its claws in enough people in the UK to be worrying. And as I just promised, here's one of my favorite broadcasters, radio host James O'Brien, wondering aloud how properly to handle a situation where you have to report on insanity simply because enough people believe it, a scenario that U.S. journalists have only too much familiarity with. I'm Michael in Liverpool. Hello, James. Everywhere I go, and a lot of people that I meet are talking about QAnon, child trafficking, child abuse, and the pandemic being used against us. Some even believe the virus is fake, but nobody in the media seems to be addressing any of the above subject. I kind of get that the reply to the question is that none of it's true, it's all nonsense and doesn't deserve airtime, yet everyone is still talking about it, and its absence from mainstream media, in my opinion, just fans the flames of these stories. Maybe you could speak of this subject today at 12. Um, I bet my bottom dollar it will be very interesting listening. And there, I, I touched on this yesterday, didn't I? That, that there is... Once again, the, the, the problem of our ages, in that he, both of these correspondents are right. This absolute nonsense is growing in both popularity and reach. And those of us in what you might call traditional media don't know what to do. I heard Radio 4 having a crack at the QAnon story not long ago, and I think they did a fairly good job. But how do you report nonsense? It's a, it's, it's a challenge for the ages. I mean, you know, failing to report nonsense properly explains why we got Brexit and Donald Trump. Now, I know a lot of people listening to this still don't recognise that, they, that they, they were bad things, particularly with regard to Brexit. I think you'd have to be putting in quite a shift to cling to the notion that Donald Trump isn't an utterly depraved disaster. And, and yet you have this sort of continuing confusion about how you report nonsense. It's a bit like right at the beginning of the uh, crisis when I told you a number of mates of mine from back in the day were getting in touch to ask about phone masks and, and 5G, because uh, exactly as those two correspondents just suggested, because the kind of people that they were seeing talking it up were not the kind of people that, that actually wore tinfoil hats and, and sort of walked around in eight pairs of socks because they were frightened of some unknown toe-eating monster. Do you, do you, do you know what I mean? I, I, but then, of course, you've got the fellow who thinks the Queen's a lizard enjoying a bit of a boost in popularity as well. I do not know, is the easy way of saying it, I do not know how to report things that are believed but also complete pants. Vaccines. 
would be perhaps the, the, the earliest example of that. Or, or climate change. But this is where it's led us, to a place where significant numbers of people believe demonstrable underpants. And people like me who do this for a living, and I'm not alone, haven't really got a clue how to handle it. Okay, that takes care of dear old Blighty. What about some place that seems to have its head on straight now, but maybe within living memory had a really bad time of it when a bunch of conspiracist lunatics took over their government and did some naughty shit? You're alluding to Germany, aren't you? Well, Elena, I'll say this. I've been to Germany several times, and I love the place and the people. And I don't think there's any group of humans on Earth who have done more to come to grips with their nation's horrendous past crimes than Germans have. But let's all admit that while U.S. QAnon is frightening, the idea of QAnon taking root in Germany has maybe some extra fear attached to it due to previous unpleasantness. Oh, you're worried about QAnon Hitler, aren't you? I mean, I'm not worried about it, but even the outside possibility sounds fairly shitty. We can all agree on that. Now again, I think the Germans are an amazing people who at this point have a really great head on their collective shoulders. But as our longtime and beloved listener Oli Hansen was quick to point out, the hard-right conspiracy theorists of Germany are only too happy to jump on board with QAnon. Wait, isn't Mr. Hansen Danish? Yes. So why is he weighing in on Q's doings in Deutschland? I'm going to say that little occupation in the 1940s makes it legit for any Dane to keep close tabs on German right-wingers for the next, let's say, 500 years. Sound fair? Anyway, it's not like Oli was making shit up about the German right-wing. They're definitely very comfortable with the same sort of bullshit that our domestic hard-right Looney Tunes tend to embrace, including, of course, a hearty helping of anti-Semitism. But since these are the folks who are helping to spread Q in Germany, let's take a closer look. Our first thread concerns the Reichsberger movement, a group that rejects the modern German state, denies it has any legitimacy, and insists that the borders of the real Reich... Yeah, nobody claiming they're bringing back a Reich is going to attract many fans outside of actual Nazis, are they? They are not. But to continue, they maintain the proper borders of their Reich are the much larger borders the German Empire had in 1932 or... 1871, depending on who you're talking to, either of which would carve significant chunks out of modern nation-states bordering Germany. Here's how The Economist explained the movement. The so-called Reichsburger are convinced that the Federal Republic of Germany, FRG, does not exist. In its place, the old German Empire endures, which in their telling was never properly abolished and persists in the borders of either 1871 or 1937. There are nearly as many lines of pseudo-legal reasoning as adherence. One rests on the fact that the Allies never signed a peace treaty with Germany after the Second World War. Another cites selectively from a decision by Germany's Supreme Court in 1973 regarding an agreement between West and East Germany. The upshot, say Reichsberger, is that the Federal Republic is really a limited liability company based in Frankfurt, 
and controlled by a Jewish world government based in America. Longtime listeners will recognize this hogwash as very similar to the worldview promulgated in the U.S. by sovereign citizens, who similarly claim that the U.S. was replaced with a for-profit corporation over a century ago, among a wide range of other risible allegations. And it turns out the Reichsburgers come to their conclusions the same way our sovereigns do, deliberately selective misreadings of certain court documents and treaties that appear to buttress their claims while ignoring wholesale the mountains of similar legal treatises that prove they're full of shit. From what we can glean, these guys are looked down upon even by Germany's modern-day neo-Nazis in spite of the two groups' shared anti-Semitism. The other German group we have to mention here is the so-called Kordenken movement. We know it looks like a reference to QAnon, but it actually translates to lateral thinking movement, which, yeah, their thinking is pretty lateral. And stupid. The Kredenken folks were at the forefront of the anti-vax COVID lockdown protests in Germany, including one in late August of 2020 where noted anti-vax activist, current presidential candidate, and Cheryl Hines' embarrassment, RFK Jr., was a featured speaker. But, of course, the Kordinkin movement doesn't have to rely solely on imported conspiracy theorist talent, like Kennedy. They've also developed their own. Vice reported starting in 2020 on a lawyer named Reiner Fulmich, I'm almost certainly pronouncing that wrong, who took it upon himself to form the Corona Ausschuss. You're just going to have to pardon all of my pronunciation in this section. That is the Corona Committee to investigate the supposed crimes that a wide variety of governments and corporations have supposedly committed against the people of the world since the COVID plague hit. His investigations have since led him to file a number of lawsuits, including, vice notes, one that involved Queen Elizabeth II. That crafty criminal managed to evade the scales of justice by dropping dead, but oh, he'll make the other miscreants pay. All of this is setting the stage for something Fulmich describes as Nuremberg 2.0, named after the famous trials in which the leaders of the Nazi Reich were sentenced, frequently to death, for their crimes against humanity. The only difference between the original and Fulmich's version, of course, being that those he wants to put on trial this time are dedicated doctors and politicians who worked diligently, albeit fallibly like any other human, to try to protect their fellow citizens from a rapidly mutating, never-before-seen virus to minimize deaths and horrific health outcomes. So, you know, exactly like Nazis. What an asshole. What's surprising to people who knew this guy before his recent star turn as a spittle-flecked conspiracy loon is that he was a legitimate lawyer who had filed corporate fraud cases against Volkswagen, Deutsche Bank, and others. And understand, these weren't silly, easily dismissible, sovereign citizen-style lawsuits, but rather genuine cases alleging fraud for which there was actual evidence. A different Vice video on the phenomenon of celebrity-led German anti-COVID, anti-vax movements covered another prominent Deutschlander who also abandoned a thriving career to instead yell in public about COVID cover-ups and other nonsense. Every day we hear about COVID and we have empty um, hospitals here and nobody's sick. They try to push away our human rights and democracy. That's what I see. Before COVID-19, Hildman had one of the few jobs relatively insulated from the lockdown. 
He was a best-selling cookbook author and celebrity vegan chef. I transformed myself by developing recipes where you use these healthy ingredients. Over the course of the pandemic, Hildman's views on animal welfare and opposition to corporate farming have morphed into something extreme. Like many people who believe a small, powerful elite control the world, anti-Semitic fantasies are never far away. For 20 years, I've been an animal rights activist. I found out that the same um, industries are my new enemies when it comes to COVID because they are behind it. And it's the agenda of the new world order. They want to depopulate the whole planet. They want to kill 7 billion people by injection. And they want to enslave the remaining 500 million people and control them with brain chips. And that's something I just had to stood up. You've been accused of making anti-Semitic remarks. Yeah. Do you stand by those? I never made anti-Semitic statements. I just talked about Rothschild and Rockefeller, which are criminals. They belong in prison. Hiltman's repeated attacks on what he calls Zionists, such as suggesting they financed the Holocaust, have been clearly documented by the blog Volksverpetzer. Attila Hildmann definitely is somebody who's a genuine believer and he's, who is so far into these theories that he kind of can't control himself anymore and who is, of course, hurting himself economically with that. He sold a lot of cooking books. Uh, he was on a lot of TV shows. And this, of course, will stop. That same video also closes the loop between the COVID protests in Germany, which were among the most significant in Europe, and Germany's embrace of Q. Of COVID, and this, of course, drives that this is all a hoax. The most unexpected part of this movement is the spread and growth of a group with distinctly American origins, QAnon. QAnon conspiracy allegations are very, very emotional in that, of course, it's all about child abuse and ritual murder. And this kind of adds some spice to the rather dry things that are happening with COVID in Germany. QAnon preaches the fiction that President Trump is battling a shadowy cabal of devil-worshipping pedophiles. An analysis of QAnon platforms suggests Germany may have the highest number of believers outside the U.S., about 200,000. QAnon theories don't just add to a dangerous landscape of disinformation. For many, they also have a personal cost. What do your friends and family think about QAnon? I have more and more friends now, but before that, I have lost my family and all, friend, all of my friends. And my, my whole church congregation I have lost because of the truth. Okay there, buddy, but I feel like you mentioned those Reichsburger folks and then just kind of dropped them in favor of the Querdenken people, the lawyer and the chef, and how that ties back to QAnon. You gonna remind us why we needed to hear about the German sovereign citizen equivalents? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is that many Reichsburgers slot right into Q and COVID conspiracy beliefs. But the other reason is because I wanted to remind you that the Reichsburgers got theyself in some real hot water at the end of 2022. Next, police have made 25 arrests against members of a far-right terror group suspected of planning an attack on Parliament. More than 3,000 officers took part in early morning raids. Let's go live to Berlin. We can speak to our correspondent, Damien McGuinness. Yeah, well, this is the largest anti-terror raid uh, Germany has ever known, Nula. So what we're talking about, 3,000 officers nationwide, uh, dozens of raids, including in army barracks. And that's because this is a far-right group uh, group known as Reichsburger and uh, literally translated citizens of the Reich and what they believe in they don't they want to undermine the modern German state they want to overthrow the government and they want to found a state based on the German empire or Reich from 1871 some of the people involved in this movement some of the people arrested the 25 people arrested uh, were former officers former soldiers one of them was a former member of the national parliament here in Berlin uh, she was working as a judge until she was arrested uh, there was also a minor aristocrat who was thought to be the ringleader of this, this. This movement has some quite high-profile figures, uh, some of whom are armed, some of whom have access to weapons, and that's why it's being taken incredibly seriously. And as the BBC reporter goes on to note, all of this weird stuff is very closely intertwined in Germany today. 
Yeah, it is interesting. There are links to the US conspiracy movement QAnon. Uh, this, though, this movement, the Reichsbürger movement, the citizens of the Reich movement, goes back to the 80s. So this, this has been going for decades. We have times in Germany where they seem to be uh, more active, other times when they seem to be less active. What we've seen over the last few years, and particularly during the pandemic, is that all sorts of different groups, very disparate groups, including anti-vaxxers, COVID deniers, far-right extremists, uh, all coalescing around this Reichsbürger movement in a way, really, to, to say that the German state is not legitimate. And I think there are links to the US, this idea of a deep state, what the people of this movement talk about. They say that Germany isn't a real country. Modern Germany is, in fact, a company, a firm, they call it, that's run by the US or by the Allies. And they say that the real Germany is the one that was before the First World War. And that's what they want to get back to. They don't recognise the German state. These people refuse to pay taxes. Regularly, you have shootouts with police in, in houses uh, in some parts of Germany. So this is something that does ebb and flow. But I think the the fact that there's been so much going on in the US connected to certain conspiracy theories and particularly linked to the pandemic and, you know, a, a small but radical movement within Germany of people who say that the vaccine is the problem and not COVID itself. And even though these groups are very small and very fringe, some of them are quite radical. And what we're seeing, according to police today, and certainly according to what we've seen over the last few years, is that some of these people are prepared to use violence to do what they think is the right thing, which they, they believe they want to overthrow the German state. They just don't believe in the legitimacy of modern Germany. That's why they're seen as such a danger. There's more QAnon in the rest of the world as well, but it's time for us to come home. To review the state of Q and attendant conspiracies like Stop the Steal, to see how they're changing, how they're staying the same, and to hopefully get a glimpse into what the future of our most insane homegrown political conspiracy theory will look like.